Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Today's episode is part of our financial resilience mission here at RASC Australia. Our mission at RASC is to help build up the financial resilience of every Australian and Kiwi, and to do that, we need your help. The definition of resilience, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by compressive stress or an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. So how does that relate to financial resilience? Financial resilience is all about having the resources and tools that you need to overcome financial setbacks in your life. So what are we doing to achieve this mission? We provide free financial education courses for all Australians at Resc Education. We're also calling on Aussies and Kiwis who have overcome financial challenges and want to inspire others on their journey. If you've paid down 20k of debt, or maybe even more, or if you've come back from unemployment, dealt with domestic and financial abuse, even if you've made a million dollars, whatever your financial Everest was or is, we want to hear how you climbed it and how you overcame it. We're also producing high-quality financial news and information on our sites at RASC Media, Best ETFs and RASC Education. We're running an online community that you can join for everyone to share their financial highs and lows with each other because we know how important it is to have a community when you're trying to improve your own personal finances. We're hosting events, or we've hosted events, and we plan to host a lot more, as well as workshops that will help you build your financial skills and connections in the community. And we're also employing individuals at RASC Australia who live by our values and are committed to improving the financial lives of others. So what can you do to help us with this mission? The first thing you can do is volunteer to share your story of overcoming financial challenges and building financial resilience. You can do that and you can share your story with us by using a Google form. You'll see the link in the description for this episode that will take you to a Google form where you can share your details with us. We'd also love if you encouraged your friends, family and colleagues to take one of our free financial courses at RASC Education because that's a great way to help build financial resilience within your community. And finally, please consider joining our Facebook group where you can learn from others, you can share your experiences or your opinion and you can build connections with other Australians taking control of their financial futures. We'll put a link in the description. So without further ado, here's today's fantastic listener story. Kate, welcome back to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Listener's edition. Listener's edition. It's a listener story and we've got a very, very special guest with us today. Some of our listeners will probably know who she is. Uh, Tash, aka Tash Invest, how are you going? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's um, our pleasure to to host you for this um, probably half an hour, 40 minutes and hear your story. A lot of people, like we said, would probably know you. Uh, would have heard uh, some of your videos or watched some of your videos, maybe um, heard you on the Equity Mates podcast or or many others. So yeah, again, it's really good to have you on the show. One of the things that we want to cover off on is kind of how you got to be so active in social media, in particular, like the 
uh, fintech and I guess financial uh, social media aspect as well. I'll just throw it over to you. Can you just take us back? Like, did you grow up with anyone kind of nudging you towards money and guess on that path towards understanding how finances work? Yeah. So my parents have always been really open about money and their mortgages and their money goals. So my whole childhood, I was very aware of how much my parents were paying towards their mortgage, what investment properties they wanted to buy, where we were moving. My dad works in mining. So we moved around quite a bit for his job, but they would always openly be like, oh, we're moving here for a pay rise or we're going to move here because we get free accommodation. So it was always a very open conversation, which I found out was a lot different to all of my friends when I got a little bit older. And they also taught us budgeting in a really fun way. Like anytime we wanted anything, we'd sit down at the table and he would write down the cost of everything and we would have to work it out. So family holidays were budgeted for and we had to like find things to cut down on. And I remember I really wanted Foxtel as a kid because like everyone had Foxtel. And dad was like, no, and did the maths in a spreadsheet. He had so many spreadsheets and was like, you can have Foxtel, but then we can't go on a holiday this year. So it was always just like a really big conversation and it wasn't taboo and it was always spoken about. That's really unique. I mean, I don't think we've spoken to anyone on the podcast before that parents have sort of spoken to them in that much detail growing up about money. Yeah, I don't think they like intentionally did it. It was just like came naturally to them, I guess. And they just involved us in conversations. And I was always like a very curious kid. and would ask 101 questions. So they would just share it with us. And my dad's very like loves a good spreadsheet. So I'd always look at his spreadsheets as well and see his like analysis of things, which is really fun. But yeah, it just like made it easy to learn about stuff because it was normal and I'd spoken about it with them already. Did you find it boring at the time or were you interested in money as well? Um, I've always been really good at saving and I guess because my parents have always worked towards like building wealth openly with me. I was always like, cool, well, I want to save and I want to like make money and I want to do these fun things as well. I've got one side of the family that's quite wealthy and another side that's not. And I saw the big difference between both sides of the family and identified pretty early on like who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be like. And I saw like the opportunities that came with money as well, while also seeing how like stressful being in a bad financial situation can be. And so what did one side of the family do so much better than the other side? Oh, like literally everything. So my, like, I don't want to call them, they are like wealthy, I guess. But yeah, like one side of the family, they didn't have Foxtel. They saved for everything. They always like spoke about their purchases in advance and they invested in property. The other side of my family kind of like spent on whatever they want. They bought new furniture. They did that thing where you like rent furniture, but you never actually like get to own it. They like had Foxtel. They would always like be the fun family, I guess. But just seeing how people like made impulsive decisions versus like actually planning for purchases. And even like the attitude towards work as well. My granddad is like 83 and he still works full time and owns like a company versus like my other grandparents who are retired and stopped working and took their super out as soon as they could. Like just the attitude towards work is so different as well. Um. 83, did you say? Yeah, his work ethic is hectic. We go over for lunch and he'll like have lunch with us for half an hour and then be like, hey, see ya, I'm busy. I, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what about his work ethic? Is this hard work or is it? Is there anything else? Well, he like is so passionate about what he designs cranes and he loves cranes, but I've never heard someone talk about cranes so excitedly before in my life. But he just like loves cranes and loves working towards things. And he's a property investor too. So he's always working towards buying another property or paying off his mortgage. And just like the way he speaks about it, he's so excited. And like, I want to be that excited about my job when I'm 83. Like what a life goal. Mm, Totally. Definitely rubs off. Like whenever people talk about their passions, like I know you're quite passionate about personal finance. It it definitely rubs off on you. I remember... I was a few weeks ago, I was walking around Paran in Victoria and uh, 
there was this indoor plant store and this guy, I knew nothing about indoor plants, but he just spoke to me for about 15 minutes and I was nearly pulling out my card to buy just because he was so excited about what he's talking about. That's great. Um, <laughs> Good yeah, salesman. And, <laughs> yeah, I probably will go back. He got me following on my Insta. And so talking of social media, you're pretty big on Instagram and TikTok now. What made you go from interested in finance, talking about it with your parents to actually sharing your journey online? I have always been really open with money with my friends. And I found a lot of people didn't know the things that I knew. And like a lot of my friends were getting car loans or getting personal loans to go on holidays. And that absolutely terrified me. And I was just like, oh, no, that's not a good idea. And then I kind of got into the personal finance world in terms of following people from the US. And then I realized there wasn't really a lot of people in Australia doing the same thing. And I'm super impulsive. So I was just like, oh, cool. I'll start it and see what happens. And then it did really well. So here we are. Did you ever second guess yourself? Uh, no. Initially, I was like wondering whether I should put my identity to it because there was a lot of anonymous accounts out there. Like I don't relate to an anonymous account, so I'll just put my face to it. But everyone in my personal life already knew about my financial situation. I was never secretive about it. So it wasn't like it was anything new. So no. And it's like it did really, like it did well a lot quicker than I expected it to. So it's just been like a really fun roller coaster. Has being online and sharing all this sort of the benefits outweighed the negatives? Because I oh, can imagine for sure. Yeah a few people that are hurtful when other people are doing well online. Yeah. I've met so many cool people and like had so many opportunities and like the networking from sharing this kind of information online is insane. I've met so many amazing people and like, sure, there's a lot of negative comments that come with talking about money because it is a very sensitive topic. But I think just realizing that people only hate on things that they're insecure about is really important. And people are always worried about like really like abstract things. They're like, oh, what about if your boss finds it and then fires you because you have more money than someone else you're working with? And it's like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But we'll come to it if that ever happens, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting that you say it's what people are most insecure about. Why do you think like the majority of people are so insecure about money? I think a lot of people have really negative money stories and it's like money was always very positive for my childhood. Like money was a tool that we used to do the things that we wanted to do and money was a thing that we actively worked towards having, I guess. And I kind of saw that in a really positive light and was like, cool, you can set goals and like work towards them and achieve them. And these are all really achievable things. But I know for a lot of other people, if money was a struggle, like money just isn't a positive topic for them. So then to have me sitting here being like, I'm 23 and I earn this much and I have this much money, people get really mad at me for that. And I can understand where they're coming from. Um, but also like I'm happy to kind of open that conversation and be like, no, it's okay to share and it's okay to talk about it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to take it all in. So ha- can I ask you how much you earn right now? Yeah. So my full-time job, I earn 71000 a year. So I am a support worker, but my job's really cool. We do live-in shifts. So we do two and a half days on, two and a half days off. So I can work on my days off as well, where I kind of do like online stuff. I do a bit of marketing and I also pick up like support work shifts as well. So like the last financial year, I made like $96,000. Cool. Well done. Yeah. Thanks. And would you say that you earn more than most people your age? Yes. Uh, kind of depends because now a lot of my friends are getting full-time jobs with their degrees and I'm still at uni. So now it's kind of changing, but last year for sure. But then I guess it depends like, cause on, like on the Instagram community, there's so many people earning way more than I am. It's just like a huge spectrum, I guess. Do you ever get envious about money? Um, no, I'm very like goals and action orientated. So if I see someone else doing really well, I'm like, that's a really cool idea. Like how can I do that instead? I feel like a lot of people are kind of like jealous instantly, but I kind of find it a bit more motivating, I guess, seeing people doing really well. And like, there's so many like young people on TikTok who are like 21 millionaires. I'm like, that's insane. Like, I wish I'd done this when I was younger. 
Mm, I saw a tweet going around a few weeks ago about how young people are really interested in being TikTokers and influencers and YouTubers nowadays. And I think some of the older people were saying that's like a really terrible state of affairs. No one wants to be a doctor or an engineer nowadays. But I think it's really awesome that there's different ways for people to earn income from the digital world, which is, I guess, what you're taking advantage of, which is awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'd love to like long-term, I'd love to live in Bali and make money online. Like that would be so much fun. So being able to do all this stuff online is definitely like a step towards that. Did you think when you started that, did you think you'd turn this into a business? No, I had no idea. Like I didn't realize the potential behind it. I was like, oh yeah, I'll get like a few thousand followers. I'll just chat about my money life and it would be fine. But then I guess like the Daily Mail wrote an article and I ended up being in the newspaper. And like when the newspaper article got written, I was like, oh wow, this is like an actual thing. And I've had some really cool companies reach out and I just like still can't believe they know who I am. So yeah, it's gone like way better than I ever expected it to. How does a someone like yourself make money from a, uh, an online business? Um, So making money as like, I guess a financial influencer, if that's what we want to call it. I'm still, I'm not sure about that term still, but like affiliate codes, mostly I find the best. So if I use a product, I'll be like, Hey, you can use it too. And we both get free money because that's beneficial for both people. I use like the Wii Money budgeting app. They give you like $5 if you sign up and I also get $5. So that's really fun. I kind of do have done a few ads, but I find they're not received the best. So I try and avoid like outright sponsored content and do more affiliate codes where it's just like, yeah, I've used this product. I've shown you how I've used it. If you want to use it, you can use it too. I think from like Insta, like doing all the online stuff, I've kind of like worked my way into a few marketing jobs as well, which has been really fun. So now I'm kind of doing like contract marketing stuff, which like is awesome. I never thought I would ever end up doing that. Mm, so just from being online, you're developing a whole range of different skill sets. And yeah. it must be quite a different approach because a lot of people that are um, in the finance community online or running podcasts like us have some... Uh, maybe we've studied finance at uni or we're working in the industry, but you've come from a completely different perspective. Do you think that really helps you connect with a wider audience? Yeah, I think that was kind of my like relatability point, I guess, because there was a lot of like older guys who work in finance doing finance podcasts, I guess, or like people like who do work in finance, I guess. So me just being like, I'm a support worker and I study occupational therapy and I still haven't finished uni and I can learn this stuff. Like we can all learn it. I think it definitely makes it a lot more accessible. So do you think you'll become an occupational therapist or do you think you'll continue with this? I want to do both. I like having a job to go to and I like being really social. And like, while this stuff is so much fun, it's just like me sitting on my floor at home a lot of the time. So I'd love to do this on the side. But yeah, I'm really excited to work as an OT for a few years at least. That's cool. It's a good, it's a a noble profession to go in and help people recover. I have an occupational therapist in my life, so I have to say say good things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, so it seems like if I'm just, let's say someone hasn't heard from you before and they're tuning into this episode, it might sound to them like it wasn't that hard for you to to make money and to start to build your wealth. Would that be a fair criticism or what would you say if someone said that to you? I feel like I, like it definitely, I never had personal debt. I never had consumer debt. I had like a good basic financial literacy when I started. I feel like there was other challenges with like trying to build wealth from when I was 18 in terms of like, seeing my friends and not overspending on nights out and stuff like that. But yeah, it's definitely been a lot easier than it has for other people. And I'm super privileged to have like had the childhood that I had for sure. Do you think that the privilege was having someone that was a good role model towards money, whereas most people don't have that? Because I feel like that's more valuable than anything. Because you see a lot of rich private school young people that turn out to be absolute like dumpster fires with money, right? So 
I think like the privilege is just like growing up in the environment where they were openly building wealth. Like my parents weren't rich to start off with. So I saw the whole process and kind of saw the sacrifices they made and the steps they had to take in order to be able to invest in property and stuff like that. So seeing that openly was so helpful for sure. And like knowing that debt was bad or like consumer debt's bad and knowing to save for things and work towards things like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think those, those values are what's important is what I meant to say. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think most people go wrong? Like what are some of the pitfalls that people find themselves in to go on the wrong track? I think like things like car loans are so normalized. Like on Instagram, you always see people buying brand new cars. I really like would love for people to disclaimer every time they need a loan to buy something. I think that would help so much. But everyone's on Instagram and they're like, oh, I bought this new RAV4 and they're not disclosing like how much debt they've been into or like people get a personal loan to go on holiday or like put things on a credit card and it's so normalized and people in general don't realize like how amazing compound interest can be to build wealth but then also how detrimental it can be if you're having to pay it to a bank as well and like you don't like learn this stuff at school you just like graduate and then you're like cool I'll get a car loan and then I'll like pay it off and then I'll try and like figure out my money afterwards but you're just like putting yourself back five ten years trying to pay off this car and it's kind of like that endless cycle where you're like oh I've had a new car and I think I deserve a new car I hate car loans I'm going on a car loan right now yeah I think that's so dangerous when social media you just don't you're comparing yourselves to people that may be in tens hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt so it's not really a a fair comparison when you're going look at them they're buying this great car they're moving to this awesome location I mean at least when people buy a property you in most cases, you assume they do have a mortgage, but when you're seeing sort of people have personal loans and now we've buy now pay later services, like anything can be bought when you don't have the money up front, which is, it does sort of give you an unfair sort of when you're looking a perspective, when you're looking at social media, which is, I mean, it's great that you're talking about this issue more because I think it is really challenging for people who are going, what's, what are other people up to? at the same life stage as me. I think context is so important, which is why I'm so happy to share what I earn. Because a lot of people look at me really quickly and they're like, oh, you're a uni student. You have an apartment. You have this much money. How are you doing that on like 20 grand a year? And it's like, actually, no, I've worked like full time since I was 17. And this is how much I earn. And this is how I've like worked up to earn a bit more money. But without that context, people are just like, oh, you've done this. Why can't I do this too? Yeah, they've really got to see more than 60 seconds of your life and actually understand a little bit more of the history. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think like the comparison is quite hard because everyone does compare themselves on social media. So like having all that context in there is so important, I think. I think that's one of the good things about Instagram and when people are sharing that information openly is they can go back to the beginning. And I know a lot of people share sort of their history of their first job at 16 when they were earning, what, 10 bucks an hour at KFC and how they've progressed through uni and now and what they've saved and invested. I mean, seeing that kind of detail does give people a more viable approach maybe. And so when they're comparing, they go, hey, I might, I might not be 18 and at the same point, but over sort of 10 years, this is how they've invested and used compound interest to build their wealth over time. So maybe it's possible for me too. Yeah, definitely. When people interact with you online, what, what are some of the most common questions that they ask you? Really? basic stuff. So all, like I always get asked, like, what is compound interest? And my, like, my most pet hate question is, which bank account do I use for compound interest? That one kills me. <laughs> None of them. Um, or like, what's an ETF? Or like, how do I buy an index fund? Or where do I buy an index fund? So kind of all those like basic questions. And I've tried to answer them in different posts, but I just feel like people aren't understanding the basics and I kind of have to go back because I kind of assumed when I first started my Instagram, people had that basic knowledge and I started talking about investing straight away. But then I realized people didn't know about like, say, like high interest savings accounts and basic compound interest stuff as well. 
I also get asked on dates heaps all the time. My Instagram's full of people being like, have a drink with me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different world. <laughs> I think we've avoided like on my other Instagram and like the Rask Instagram, we've avoided putting sort of uh, photos of our face too much apart from the, the podcast image. So we haven't had those problems yet, thankfully, but that's that's crazy. I know it happens on LinkedIn a lot. But... Good problem to have perhaps, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> Good for my engagement for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you've got those basic questions that you get asked all the time. Do you find that you are still learning a lot about investing or about personal finance? Yeah, for sure. Like I openly say that I change my mind and uh, like as I learn, because a lot of people want to know exactly what my portfolio looks like, but there's no value in that because I've bought a lot of things that I wouldn't buy again. But people are just like, show me your portfolio so I can copy it. And that's not very valuable. Um, but yeah, like I'm learning every day. Like obviously I haven't studied finance and I haven't worked in it either. So every time I'm on Instagram or online or listening to a podcast, I'm still learning. Do you find it more interesting to learn about finance or occupational therapy? Oh, finance for sure. But I don't think I want to work in it either. I kind of like, I don't know. I really like working with people in a fun way. And I guess people like, oh, you should be a financial advisor. But that doesn't really appeal to me. And I feel like I have a bigger reach talking about personal finance online than if I just worked in a finance job, I guess. Yeah. Because like another question I get all the time is like, why don't you just work in finance? And why don't you? Just because you don't have that reach? No, I don't want to study another degree. Like I hate uni. I don't want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I also like, I change my mind a lot. Like I job hop quite a bit and I change my mind about what I want to do all the time. So I don't want to commit to another three-year degree or like a two-year master's just to, like change my mind in a little bit. Do you find people coming to you as kind of a source of inspiration for them and their own journey? Yeah. I think people put me on a pedestal sometimes and think I'm better than I am. And people will send me their whole life story and be like, hey, can you help me with this? And it's like, no, I'm a random person on the internet. I can't give you that kind of advice and that kind. And I also don't know everything. I get really detailed questions and I'm just like, I have to Google that. I have no idea. Yeah. Sometimes people find the most niche things to ask questions about. Some of the questions we get, like I don't even know. Sometimes Owen doesn't even know the answer and it's something like really niche financial product or like rule or something that in most cases you don't even know the answer to. But um, I always get asked my thoughts on the A2 milk price and I have never bought into individual shares. And I openly am like, I just buy ETS. People are still like, but what about A2 milk? Like what's the big hype behind A2 milk? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're an expert on every share now. So how about, so that's from like a, um, just a general kind of financial literacy kind of perspective, but how about from like a inspiring them towards like, being more confident with money, like the emotional side of things or like even entrepreneurship. I guess the question that I'm actually asking is um, like what motivates you to do this? I really enjoy talking about money in general and obviously like um, I have ADHD. So the dopamine from like Instagram notifications is like the most, like such a fun thing. But like I enjoy like social media anyway. And I was on social media heaps, but I was like, cool. Like I can actually like use it in a positive way to make a difference while also like growing a following, I guess, that I can make a bit of money from. But like it is really fun to have conversations with people who are like, hey, I invested for the first time because of you. Or like, oh, I got a better job because of you. Like that's really fun. But it's kind of like a mix of all things. Like I love social media. I like talking about myself. Like that's really fun too. I'm not going to pretend I don't like that. Yeah. No, it's just like, it's all fun overall. Yeah. You probably have to be pretty comfortable talking with yourself to uh, be putting videos up on TikTok. I never thought I would film myself ever. I was like, no, nah, I'll just like post feed posts and like maybe do stories here and there. And then I made my first TikTok and it did so well. And now like here we are and I just started making YouTube videos as well. So yeah, grown a lot in like the last six months. I'll flip my question then. Um, what's the worst part about doing what you do? I don't know. Probably the hates. Like I do get a lot of hate, but I've kind of like 
learned how to deal with that pretty well now. Other than that, there's not how really do you like, deal with it? like just understanding where people are coming from and why they're hating me. Because like initially I was like, oh, they, like I would get hundreds of nice messages and I would get one hate message and it would kind of bother me. But now I kind of get that people are always going to hate you when you're talking about something that's quite controversial. And the way I say stuff, I think people get offended at that, at that as well. I'm just like openly like, this is what I do. I don't really care what other people think sometimes. But yeah. Other than that, it's like literally been such an amazing, like incredible few months and I've had so much fun. I met so many cool people and my life's kind of changed for the better as well. So overall, it's been a really positive experience. Do you get a lot of um, males and females following you? My following is 80% females, but I get more DMs from males correcting me or like giving me advice, which I find really interesting. My, most of my like female DMs are really like nice. And then I always get males kind of challenging everything that I say, which I find really interesting. So like they're just trying to mansplain something oh, to you yeah. or yeah. 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 Right. Someone mansplaining an index fund to me, like that was probably my favorite. I was like, great. Thank you so much. Or like I posted like, cause I kind of like share life stuff as well to be kind of relatable, but I was talking about how my skin was breaking out and I had this guy message me being like, yeah, you should just exercise some more. And I was like, okay, thank you. That was really helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And, um, well, I guess, so why, okay, let's drill into that. Why do you think that is like, why do you think women are more supportive and men, I guess, are more like critical. Maybe that's the right word. I don't know if I like challenge people, but I didn't, I don't know if this is controversial as well, but I didn't realize because I work in health, which is very female dominated, but I didn't realize how like sexist the finance world was. And like me speaking about money, a lot of my questions are sometimes like, what about kids? What about your future husband? Aren't you worried what your boyfriend's going to think about you? And then like I say something and people will challenge it so directly. And then I see guys doing the same thing that I am online and their questions are more constructive and more supported. And they don't get questions about kids all the time or like what their girlfriends will think of them. So it's interesting, like the gender stereotypes that are still like, around. Yeah, I remember I think it it was a few years now I did this panel on the financial independence movement and one of the I think I was only 19 at the time but one of the questions was well isn't your plan just going to completely fall apart when you get married and have kids and I'm like I'm 19 I'm not even thinking about this. You both have kids like two people have kids you don't just like have kids and it's like the female responsibility but it's funny that that's still like the perception of a lot of people and it's like no I'm going to marry someone who also like is building wealth I'm not going to like support like three children plus a husband, I guess. Well, that's not my plan anyway, but yeah. And it's like your plan doesn't have to fall apart because X, Y, and Z happens. That's part of it. And you can like work it all in. I get a lot of criticism because my goal is like, I want to have a million dollars invested and that's just my goal for now. But I get a lot of criticism with people being like a million dollars isn't enough, but like you don't set one goal and never change your goals and never work towards new goals. But people just say that one thing and they're like, no, your plan's flawed. That's it. Hmm. Yeah. So you're part of the financial independence movement in Australia too? Um, Kind of. I like the financial independence bit, but I love working and I really, like, I really do like working. Um, So I don't really want to have to do the retire early bit. I just want to be financially independent so I can do whatever I want and work for fun versus having to work for like to survive. Sorry guys, I'm still in uh, like, I'm still taken back by that person asking you that question at um, at an event, Kate. Uh, (laughs) At at 19 years of age, like that's just... was that it? Was who, who did that come from? Would that come from a uh, a guy? Oh, I think it might have been a female, like an older female in the audience. But all oh, right, okay, talk about yeah, right stereotypes. Yeah, well, I hadn't actually even thought about that as part of my plan. Like I was like, oh, that's quite a long way away. <laughs> but it's like your plans are adaptable, and you can change them depending on circumstances. Like my plans change on a yearly basis. I think the important thing is just working towards the right direction. You're building wealth over time and whatever direction that takes, if the number grows, then that's okay. 
Yeah, there's never going to be anything bad about reaching your initial goal, I guess. Atash, if someone asks you, let's just say um, I'm a friend of a family member and I'm introduced to you on the weekend, I say, oh, what do you do, Tash? Well, how would you describe what you do? I usually just say I'm a support worker and I study OT and I talk about money online. That's like a fun summary. Yeah. And I also do lots of fun things. I like wakeboarding. That's my hobby at the moment. And what do they say when you combine those three things, support worker, studying OT and do personal finance stuff online? Um, I usually make them follow me online straight away. So that's a fun conversation. Like, hey, follow my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And if they don't Instagram, you install it for them and you get another follower or... (laughs) No, <laughs> um, no. I feel like most like I don't just like meet random people. Like it's always like friends of friends who kind of like I've met them like for a reason. So like if I've met an OT friends, then I'll talk about OT stuff. Or I've met a support work friend, I'll talk about that. It's not like ever out of the blue being like, "Hello, I'm this completely random person." And um, you said to us offline just uh, before we started recording that you're actually going to you know take what you're doing kind of on the road. You're going to keep doing what you're doing, but you're going to work in the the snow fields. Uh, New South Wales. Do you think you would be able to do that if you didn't have your financial situation in the shape that it's in? No, definitely not. So this year, I know a lot of people really struggle with this year of OT because I've got two eight-week pracs coming up and they're both unpaid. Um, And I've kind of, I spent seven years at uni because I've procrastinated a lot and gone part-time. So I'm in a financial situation where I can not work for eight weeks, also go to like New South Wales and ski for three months and then come back into another prac. So like being in this financial position has given me so much more freedom and I can just like quit my job and jump over to New South Wales if I feel like it, which is super exciting. So what, what's the best thing that money, having money does for you? The freedom to do whatever you want and to like, like I love having it in the back of my mind when like I'm having a really bad day at work being like, oh, I don't actually have to be here. I could just like quit and find a new job if I wanted. Like the choice and control is like amazing. What would you say to people that kind of throw their hands up in the air and they're like, this is really hard. I guess, is there a difference between the way you approach these things and most people you come across? Because most people aren't like you, right, Tash? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, what was your first bit? So you asked me two questions sam- in one. Okay, so first things first, people aren't necessarily like you in terms of like, like a positive approach to money. So what's holding them back? I think like discovering why their money beliefs are the way they are, like understanding why you believe stuff and it's if it's been your family situation or like a bad experience with money, understand why and then work a way to like change that relationship with money. But I think like realizing you don't become good at finances overnight. Like this has been something I've done my whole life. And even now I've been investing since I was 18. I didn't just randomly like put 50 grand into shares and like here we are. Um, so like understanding that money's a journey and like the first way you find across online doesn't have to be the way that you have to follow. There's so many ways to do everything. So just like working at it every day, but like slowly and making it a part of your life as well. It's like a diet. You don't just like do a 30 day diet and then all of a sudden you're fit and healthy. Like it's meant to be a lifestyle thing. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Kind of summed it up. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Okay. Do you have any more questions for Tash? Yeah, I, one of the questions, I know as a, a young person, it's really hard to balance spending and saving for the future and thinking about retirement and superannuation. What is your approach to balancing between enjoying everything now and not missing out on things like wakeboarding, but also putting money aside to be financially independent and have enough in your superannuation for retirement? 
I struggled with this heaps when I was 18 because I knew that I wanted to save to travel um, and I worked three different jobs and I was working all the time. But all my friends, obviously, they just turned 18 and they wanted to go out and spend heaps of money. So learning to say no was really interesting and like understanding why. Because initially I was like, oh, I'm just saving. And I couldn't really explain why I was doing that. And I kind of like had a lot of conflict with that. And people would always be like, oh, you have to enjoy your like, eight, you, yeah, like 18, you have to enjoy yourself. And my mom would be like that as well. She's like, you're too stingy. You have to enjoy life. But I've kind of like gotten to a point now where I I can pay my mortgage, invest, and also do the things that I want to do. But I feel like that was coming down to like actually working out what added value to my life versus what I was just like mindlessly spending on. Yeah. So you, how did you determine that? Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I tracked my spending like really brutally for a while. I used to make lots of spreadsheets and graphs out of it. But yeah, just sitting down and being like, I don't want to spend $200 a night out on drinks, but I do enjoy socializing. So I will go out for a drink or two and fit that into my plan. The things that bring me heaps of joy are like traveling, wakeboarding, diving. So I have a year membership at the wakeboarding park, which is quite expensive. I became a dive master. Um, I like bought all my dive gear and that was all really expensive, but I cut out like eating out and like going for those big nights out with friends to kind of afford those things. And like, I think once you like find things that you really enjoy, it's really easy to say no to other things. Yeah. Cause you suddenly know where your priorities lie. Yeah. And I like probably think way too much into the future and I love plans. So I think it's easier for me because I'm like, oh no, I have this plan. Like I have to save for that plan. So I should like live in the moment more, but we're working on it. Mm, I think it's a challenging, challenging balance. And sometimes it sort of ebbs and flows. I spend more one month and then less the next one, depending on how I'm feeling about the now versus the future. Yeah, definitely. Some months I spend heaps and I'm just like, oh, this is a bit off brand, but like, it's fine. It all balances out. (laughs) So you kind of give yourself rope to like when things do go slightly you know, off plan. You're not too hard on yourself. No. So I sit on more cash than I probably should. So I've got like $25,000 in cash, which is like my buffer and my emergency fund. But it's also kind of my fund for now where I'm like, cool, I'm going to move over to New South Wales and buy a season pass and buy all my snowboarding gear. So that kind of buffer gives me the freedom to make those choices when I want to make them. So it's like there for that, but also like I'm going to be saving and investing for the rest of my life. There's no rush as well, which is kind of like interesting about the fire movement because people are like, you have to be really frugal and like reach fire as quickly as possible. But like, I want to do everything while also reaching financial independence. Sending money is fine. It'll come back eventually. (laughs) Hopefully anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's that, that mindset that there is more money out there and I can make more money and I can earn more money. I think it's that, Yeah. what do they call it? The abundance mindset or something. Yeah. Like the growth first fixed mindset. That's really interesting when I talk to people because my, like I'm always believe that I can make more and I'm trying to find ways that I can earn more. And I ask for pay rises and I ask for extra things, but I find a lot of people are like, oh no, I can't earn that much. And that's just like, they're done. And they're like, no, I'm never going to earn a hundred K. But then it's like, I earned a hundred, almost a hundred K being a support worker, picking up extra shifts. Like it is possible if you want it to be possible. Mm. You can't do it without the right mindset, right? Yeah, definitely. That's where it all starts, yeah. Um, wonderful. Uh, Kate, any more questions for Tash? I mean, we could probably talk for just hours, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess in, just to finish off, what is if you had to give a few tips to someone listening today that maybe is considering getting on top of their finances but hasn't sort of taken the leap yet or that's they're thinking maybe they'll do it later, what would you say to them? Do it now. Don't wait later. I love those like compound interest graphs. So you're like, if you invest $100 a week for 40 years, you'll end up with over a million dollars at the end. But you have to start that now for that compounding to take effect. But I know it can be really overwhelming as well. So just start small, like sit down and work out what your expenses are, sit down and work out like what you can come back on. I don't know, plan to learn one thing a week or something like that. Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. And follow me on Instagram as well. Yeah. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll include your handle in the show notes as well. 
yeah, so if people want to find out more about Tash, uh, we'll put links in all the show notes. So be sure to check those out. Tash, it's uh, maybe we can do this again in a couple of years' time just to kind of check in on you and see where you're at. I think a lot of people listening to this will find your approach and attitude just very inspiring. So we'll put all the links in. Please go check them out. Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Tash, a very special thank you for, for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was heaps of fun. Thanks, Tash. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at risk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. 